Sami. Bandavats Galore from all ten directions. From I don't know if it's from ten directions. It's uh, from east, from where you are in Croatia. <laughs> okay, where are you in Croatia? Uh, south of Rijeka, a town called Srikvenica. <laughs> okay. I, should, I shouldn't have asked that. You asked. <laughs> I shouldn't. <laughs> mm. okay. So, Puru, nice to see you. <laughs> oh, there we go. I'm unmuted now. Yes, nice to see you too, Maharaj. Hare Krishna. <laughs> so let's, uh, without further ado, as a Shakespeare play will go, um, let's, uh, let's begin. Today, Purushottam Akshetra Prabhu will be the moderator, and I will be in charge of silly questions and inappropriate comments, let's say. Gosh, I thought it was the other way around. In any case, let's start. Sounds good. Okay. So, Maharaj, we want to hear from you about uh, uh, anything you'd like to speak of, uh, perhaps uh, related to your uh, your book and mm -hmm. uh, related issues. Okay. Well, maybe we should start with some Mangala Charana. <clears throat> Nama Om Vishnupadaya Krishna Prishtaya Bhutale Shimate Bhakti Vedanta Swamin Itinamine. Namaste Sarasate Devi Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Paschatyadeshatarine Vancha Kalpa Tarubyascha Kripa Sindhubya Evacha Patitanam Pavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namo Namaha He Krishna Karana Sindhu Dinabando Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Tapta Kanchanago Rangi Radhe Brindavaneshwari Rishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Jai Krishna Chaitanya Prabodityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Shiva Sadi Gaurabhaktavinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare I think our topic is my book uh, Cow Care in Hindu Animal Ethics so maybe I should start Oh, you have this. Okay, yes. <laughs> and uh, 
you're showing the book, Puru Prabhu uh, reminds me happily that uh, you were one of the substantial donors for making it possible to have this book published open access, for which I'm ever grateful. And it's good, uh, perhaps for everyone listening in, you may be interested to know that the book is available, open access. That means uh, it can be downloaded in digital format, uh, and this can be done completely legally. From can, you, can, you post, can you post on the chat uh, a link for the open access? Uh, yes, I can do that. Uh, you can, maybe you can, because you just have to search the title of the book on Google, and that'll take you to the link. So the title is again, Cow Care in Hindu Animal Ethics. Um, so let me first explain a bit about the title of the book. Uh, it has to do with the broad topic of what is nowadays being called animal ethics, uh, which can be taken also um, the broader topic in the academic world is since some recent years being called animal studies, the interdisciplinary study of animals, not like zoology and so on, but rather it's about uh, human understandings, human relations with animals in all different perspectives. And then within that, you have this uh, topic of animal ethics, where ethics is about uh, normativity. It's what should be as opposed to simply describing what is. Uh, and there is uh, one particular book series, uh, which is published by Palgrave Macmillan, uh, which is uh, a good-sized academic publisher, which is a subsidiary uh, of Springer Nature, which is a very large academic publisher. So the book series, uh, which presently has maybe 40, roughly 40 titles, uh, you can also find online to get some idea what sort of things they talk about. Uh, the editor of this particular series Andrew Lindsay, Professor Andrew Lindsay is someone I know personally. Uh, he is in Oxford and he is a retired professor from Oxford University who uh, leads, who directs the Oxford Center for Animal Ethics and he's also the editor of this book series. And uh, I got to know him. I, uh, have presented a few times in their conferences. And uh, he asked me, could I please write a book for his series on 
Hinduism and animal ethics. And uh, initially I kind of didn't really respond positively. I kind of shrugged my shoulders. And, but he asked me again, and uh, by this time I came to know that there's another scholar he has engaged to write on a similar topic. So I felt maybe there's no need. But then he asked me a third time, um, <laughs> a third time in three years. And this third time he said, you know, I really would like you to write this book. Why? Because you're a practitioner. So when he said that, the bells started ringing in my head that, you know, what, what more do you want as an invitation to do something uh, as a service for the Vaishnavas? But I wanted to specifically write about cows. Uh, I felt this is uh, the, a very... Um, important subject for Vaishnavas, but also for many people who consider themselves Hindu. And he wanted, he specified it should focus on Hindu ideas. Okay, so uh, when I suggested I focus on cows, he said, that's great, just do it. So that's what happened. Um, then uh, this uh, drew me into a sort of un universe uh, of mm, people and uh, ideas. Because, you know, we understand from Srila Prabhupada, uh, he writes again and again about the importance of cow, cow protection. Raksha, he refers to Bhagavad Gita. And uh, we have been inspired in our society to respond, to follow Srila Prabhupada's direction. And hence, there is Gita Nagari. <laughs> First, there was and still is New Vrindavan, and then Gita Nagari. And since then, several projects around the world. Uh, but mm, I say, but um, altogether, these projects bring together a really small, small, small fraction of the. Um, the situation of how cows are in the world today. And I, I mentioned this in the introduction that uh, there's maybe some of you know this already, but it's, it's not a very pleasant statistic, but approximately 34,000 cows per hour are being slaughtered worldwide. Uh, and uh, we, ISKCON, have something around 100 projects with cows worldwide, the vast majority being in India. And altogether, we have an estimated 5,000 cows, 4,000 of which 
approximately 4,000 are in India. So mm, on the one hand, we see Prabhupada's really strong emphasis how important this is. And on the other side, we see that uh, it's not something we've instituted in any sort of scale that is making a mark on, on the map. Uh, so I felt there's some perhaps value in getting a, a deeper, a broader uh, understanding of what we're talking about when we talk about cow protection. And I preferred the term cow care uh, over cow protection for various reasons. Uh, I feel it's in, in a sense more uh, inclusive. And um, anyway, I focus, I, I use this term cow care instead of, sometimes I refer to cow protection. Uh, and uh, I, I gradually became, or not so gradually, I became quite uh, fascinated by the subject, uh, not being one who has been around cows, not being one who has, you know, cared for cows, but who have lived uh, for some time at uh, the farm in Germany, Singachalam, where when we started out there, we had uh, something more than 20 cows, as I remember. But I became really quite uh, intrigued and fascinated and any number of questions uh, came forward to me that uh, I felt would be help would be useful to uh, get some grip on some understanding about. But also, as I did the research for this book, I realized I'm just scratching the surface. Uh, there's uh, a vast knowledge to be had. Uh, I think the core question for me, and I believe it should be a core question for all of us considering, thinking about, and wanting to propagate cow protection in our society is how, how to do this uh, in a, a larger scale and in a viable economic way. So I know you're thinking about and, and doing as best you can uh, there in Gitanagri on this subject. And I know I would have much to learn uh, from those of you involved in this in, in Gitanagri. And I was sorry that I couldn't spend time at Gitanagri uh, prior to writing the book, I found myself with a deadline. I had to submit a finished manuscript in a certain amount of time. So I uh, spent most of my time uh, 
um, in the field, so to say, in India, rather than with our centers in the West, although I did spend some, some time at Nuvrajadam in Hungary, and I wrote about Nuvrajadam briefly in the book. Um, well, these are some very general points, but I'm not sure, maybe Puru, you want to ask something that can prompt me to say something more <laughs> specific. <laughs> sure. <clears throat> um, I'll just read this out. In the context of biological niches within a healthy ecosystem, every living entity must be present, playing their part, including unhealthy farms, what we generally call domestic animals, wild animals, birds, insects, aquatics, and those in the microbiomes of the air and soil, and even within our own bodies. So does this mean we must honor and as much as possible to welcome and support a wide range of life forms on our farms? In your book, you've made a compelling ethical case for the personhood of the cow. You've suggested that the conditions necessary to honor this status may require our cows to live with us in localized agrarian communities, which of course makes sense. So the question becomes, what to do with the resultant explosion of abundant life in the form of other animals considered by many as suitable for food for humans? We certainly don't want our farms to be overrun with so many wild and domestic animals living in their respective eco niches that we appear to have gone back to nature in some sort of primal return to an unregulated natural environment. So what to do with all these animals that really should be taking shelter on our farms to fill out the eco niches beyond just humans <laughs> and cows and some grass out there somewhere. <laughs> Wow, you're, I think you're asking me a question that's a bit over my head, but okay, let me start. <laughs> let me start with um, the quote which I give, I think it's in the very last chapter, from Gandhi, from Mohandas Karamchand Gandhi, more commonly known as Mahatma Gandhi, to the effect, I'm just paraphrasing that, it's through our care for the cows that our relations with all other uh, animals, uh, it becomes properly realized, properly understood, properly situated. Um, that's, I think, a helpful general principle. The details then of how how that works. How do you um, deal with all different animals, and in particular, predator animals? Obviously, when we speak about cow protection, uh, traditionally this would mean protecting them from lions, for example. Uh, lions, I don't know, tigers, maybe. Um, 
because uh, cows are, for such animals, they are prey. Um, now, we human beings have put ourselves into a position, we meaning, broadly speaking, the human species on planet Earth in the age of Kali, we have put ourselves in a position of being predators for uh, any number of types of animals. And yeah, what's the result of that? Well, the result is uh, destruction of biodiversity at a, at a rate that's never been known uh, in the last hundred years and more. Somewhere I read that uh, the number of land vertebrate species lost in the 20th century was something over 500. And that rate has increased so that uh, the first 20 years of the 21st century, we, uh, one can speak of the loss of another 500. Now, of course, at this point, some devotees are going to say, yes, but, you know, all species, they're eternal, right? So there's no such thing as extinction. Uh, okay. <laughs> but as far as this planet goes, uh, the reduction of types of species is from all counts, from whatever I've read, it's becoming alarming uh, to the point where there's discussion of a sixth extinction, uh, a, a, an extinction, one of several that have happened over uh, however many uh, millions of years. And then within that, the discussion is, uh, does this sixth extinction, is it going to include human beings? Right? <laughs> Interesting question. Uh, and there's uh, various responses like, well, yeah, it looks like that's what's going to happen. So get used to it. <laughs> get ready. <laughs> um, Maybe that's not following our Vedic understanding that there will always be uh, human beings, 400,000 different species. Whatever we mean by species, that's of course another subject uh, because there are estimates. One estimate I read, they're counting, interestingly, uh, 8 million, 8.7 million uh, species of life by one count, but in the same paragraph it said, however, this is not counting all the microbe species of which there uh, are probably uh, more than a trillion. But anyway, to your question, as I understand your question is, in effect, should we be 
bringing more a, a wider variety of animals, of living creatures into the farm? And if so, how do we do that? And how does it become manageable if you have all these different species competing? Is that, is that what you're saying? Not even so much competing as you know they're they're doing their thing in the ecosystem of our farm and the the local community so to speak yeah uh so here they are uh and they're they're essentially necessary components of a healthy ecosystem to not just limit it to okay we have cows we have people we have some grass and and yeah, some birds fly over on occasion and, you know, the, <laughs> the fox comes. But, you know, for example, uh, Prabhupada talks about um, fiber. So one place where we could get fiber is to keep sheep. It's a mm -hmm. natural uh, source to get nice fiber to keep warm. Yeah. Uh, and the sheep have their their uh role in the ecosystem just like any other animal in a in a healthy environment would so all right so now we're keeping sheep are we going to protect those sheep for their life or are we going to at some point have to deal with the fact that okay sheep beget sheep and then eventually we we may become overrun with sheep <laughs> <clears throat> well, I don't think we can say, okay, we're going to keep sheep, and then after X number of years, we will uh, slaughter them because we can't do otherwise. It seems what we would need to do, and I'm just, I'm not speaking from being a specialist on sheep. Uh, it seems like what we'd need to do is control the breeding of the sheep like we control the breeding of the cows, isn't it? Um, as soon as you talk about farm and uh, what they call animal husbandry, you're bringing in all kinds of human intervention into nature. It's been said, incidentally, I don't remember the name of the author, but um, he wrote a small book saying, saying that there is, no more, there is no longer such a thing as the wild. It no longer exists on this planet mm -hmm. because of the presence and domination of human, human species. Uh, and so we're, we're sort of, we're in the midst of the situation where we are, uh, we are controllers of, of this ecology to a certain extent, but only to a limited, obviously a limited sense, because the, the numbers the numbers of factors uh, are, if not infinite, it's, they're very large. Uh, they're, 
but within that or accepting that we we take it that our business is to continue surviving ourselves with a minimum of damage bringing a, a minimum of dan damage to to our environment and that's always going to be there's always going to be as far as i can see some trade-offs well while we are on the non-bovine species uh, mm. what do we do uh, we grow a garden which is to feed the humans in the property that take care of the cows and there are creatures such as deer and woodchucks and groundhogs that they they damage the crops they are uh, not as they damage the crops so how, how do you deal with them and and this is an ahimsa farm but maybe ahimsa refers just to cows we can kill everything else but not touch the cows I would like to think that we don't just limit it to cows, but uh, again, there's effort in farming. The farmer is always making efforts to control, to constrain uh, the animals and in order to maintain what the farmer is trying to grow. Uh, and so various ways of protecting protecting the crops may be may be necessary hopefully not using chemicals you know Poisonous i am reminded of i'm reminded of uh Prabhupada's, uh telling about how in india uh the shopkeeper may have some trouble with the mice coming and eating their cloth Right. So he leaves out, uh, the shopkeeper will leave out something for the mice to eat, some grain or water, et cetera. And uh, therefore, they may uh, not be so inclined to eat something less tasty like his cloth. Right. <laughs> yeah. So there, there is a price to pay. And we, maybe we just need to accept that there will be some portion of our intended crop going to support the uh, other life forms that are living on our farms. Yeah. Uh, this reminds me, it's maybe not uh, completely on the target, but uh, I, I remember uh, Mother Vishaka's book, um, her earlier book on Bhagavad Gita, it's reflections from her uh, living from the time she and Yadavar Prabhu were living at Sharanagati farm. And she tells how one evening she looked at her carrot patch and decided, okay, tomorrow morning, I'm going to harvest the carrots. She came the next morning and all the carrots had already been harvested by the bears that night it seems they had heard her thoughts <laughs> well one could say at least they didn't come to her cabin and harvest the humans living therein 
Yeah, they just took a few carrots. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I have a thought in regards to an answer to my question mm -hmm. I'll share. Um, so in uh, the Bhagavatam, Prabhupada's purport to 9.15.25, he says, in the matter of protecting the cows, the meat eaters will protest. But in answer to them, we may say that since Krishna gives stress to cow protection, those who are inclined to eat meat may eat the flesh of unimportant animals like hogs, dogs, goats, and sheep, but they should not touch the life of the cows, for mm -hmm. this is destructive to the spiritual advancement of human society. Then another amazing quote, during a class in uh, Los Angeles, Rameshwar Prabhu quoting his hearing from Srila Prabhupada, uh, his vision for farm communities, Rameshwar said, when great, this is reporting on Prabhupada's vision, when great unemployment forces people out of cities to our farm communities, many of those people coming will be meat eaters and we have to accept them not by saying you can only come by giving up meat right away he even said that there will be a section of our city of mayapur for meat eaters Prabhupada said a section of our future farm communities may have to allow for meat eaters with the understanding that they will gradually give it up by practice, by serving Krishna and by associating with devotees. Mm. So it's almost sounding as though the potential for this population explosion of these other living entities on our farms could be taken care of by this. By the meat eaters? Yes. <laughs> who are living with us. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, what comes to my mind is what else Prabhupada said about eating meat um, following a Vedic system, namely that the animals, say the goat, uh, would first be uh, sacrificed in a formal process a ritual sacrifice and that by that process the person who is taking that meat is um, I think he would often use the word gradually he would be gradually elevated uh, now the way most modern societies work today, you'd have a problem saying, okay, now on the farm, uh, we're going to allow those residents who eat meat to do so, not, not touching the cows, but perhaps the goats and the, the sheep. But before they 
kill a goat or a sheep, uh, it's going to have to be ritually sacrificed. <laughs> now, if you say that, and that comes into you, the local uh, the local newspaper. <laughs> what is this city? Harrisburg, uh, <laughs> near Gita Nagri. Uh, you're going to have a problem, <laughs> huh? Port Royal. Port Royal. Yeah, yeah. The Port Royal News, whatever. <laughs> that'll bring that'll bring some interesting attention to Gitanagari. <laughs> and who's gonna who's gonna be the priest for that particular ceremony? Yeah, who's gonna be the priest? Well, uh, you'd possibly have quite a bit of a lineup of uh, eager Indian Kali worshippers, priests uh, lining up to get their green card so they can do this, do their sacrifices in, in uh, at Gita Nagri. <laughs> this, this seems to me like a very gruesome uh, future for Gita Nagari that we now have uh, branched out, so to say, into, uh, into a very, um, into pretty much what we preach against. Yeah, um, at the same time, it's maybe not totally inconceivable. Maybe those who are uh, who are involved in the meat eating and so on, maybe they would be living some distance from Vidanagari, but they would come to do work. Uh, example, what comes to my mind, uh, just as the pandemic lockdown started in early 2020. I happened to be in, uh, in Mumbai and then was able to, to get shelter at uh, Iskan Juhu's farm, which is three hours north of Mumbai, in a place called Talasri, where they have about 200 cows, gear cows, very beautiful cows, uh, and, um, and extensive farming. And this farming work is being done, uh, almost all of it is being done by local people of that area who are tribals. And these tribals are of such type that uh, they're certainly not vegetarian. Um, and they are certainly not teetotalers. <laughs> so, uh, they have a culture <laughs> that is uh, kind of worlds apart from the farm. The farm is kind of like an o oasis uh, in the midst of, of this uh, tribal area. So that sort of thing is is already happening in India. Also, I think at uh, Govardhan Eco Village, they're engaging tribals there as well. Yeah. I know it's hard to imagine for Gita Nagri, but 
I think what Prabhupada wanted was that we stretch our imagination uh, to see how can we be inclusive. And of course, he spoke repeatedly about Varnashrama. And it seems that the idea that he had with Varnashrama was to be inclusive of just all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, along the, the line you're talking about, the tribals that are going to this community within the uh, region that has tribals hmm. uh, and taking advantage of their, their service as they do it. Uh, I, some time ago, I think I shared an article with you about uh, historically in India, um, one way they dealt with the, the male cows is there were uh, tribal groups whose, I'll call it their business, was to take the male cows, train them as oxen, and then uh, travel the countryside with their oxen and hire out their services. So mm. they would they would follow the harvests, they would follow the planting season and so on, and just travel yeah. about and engage them in that way. So it may not be that all the animals that are born on a farm need to stay on that farm. And naturally, the, these folks, yeah, they may eat them, but on the other hand, they've also, uh, you know, they're engaging them. Uh, so... That was one of the ways I'm sure that was used in India to deal with this issue in particular with the, with the cows. Yeah, that's, that's one way. And uh, aside from that, just in general, uh, one could assume there would have been much more grazing land in India uh, than there is now. And it would have been typical that one or two people in the village, you know, sort of retirees, uh, the old the old guys, uh, would would be out there tending the cows all day. That was that was their job. The cows, uh, the 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 oxen, and so on. What would happen if uh, someone uh, take care of cows or they see that Gitanagar is an ideal place for cows and they have cows that are not exactly dairy cows and they're they're grown for beef and they want to donate them to Gitanagari. Do we say no? How do we take care of them? Well, you can't take cows that you can't take care of. I think that's a general principle. Um, what would need to be done, it seems to me, is say, okay, you want to now be involved in cow protection in that sense that you have some cows or some oxen that you don't want to be killed. So start up your own program of protecting them. 
And if you if you say, well, that's not economically practical for me, then uh, find a way that it will be economically practical. Find find develop a program that you involve others in helping you in supporting. Yeah, in fact, uh, it's interesting you say that. There, there's one specific instance of that. I believe it might have been in Texas. Uh, a woman and her husband were uh, raising beef cattle. And at some point, she had uh, inspiration, a realization that, you know, every year they're sending their cattle off to slaughter. And it was eating at her to the point where she said to her husband, we can't do this anymore. You know, this year we have to stop. Mm -hmm. He said, how, how is that possible? I can't, it's not just not possible. So she said, I'll buy them from you. So with her own funds, she bought the cows that otherwise would have been sent to slaughter. Mm -hmm. He too got on board and they started a uh, sanctuary instead of continuing with their business as it was. And this story is, is exemplary of several that I've heard of here in the United States. Yes, I've also heard of such stories. Um, another, another interesting model is uh, in England, there's this project called Ahimsa Foundation uh, that's run by a devotee, Sita Ram Prabhu. And uh, they are pr producing milk, which they're selling at a, at a considerable premium, as you're doing at Gita Nagari. Uh, they have a system that one needs to become first a member by paying an annual fee, and then one can buy, uh, one can order milk. Um, they have a waiting list of some 1,000 people wanting to, wanting to be receiving milk. But uh, what's interesting is that since just, I think, less than a year now, they have, uh, they have become connected with one local farmer. This is near Leicester, which is uh, north of London. They've become involved with one local farmer who is a Quaker. And it seems that he one day decided no more killing of, of cows. Uh, I don't want to be involved in that. And he invited uh, Ahimsa Foundation bring your cows on my land, use my barn, and he has a first-class barn facility and milking facility. Um, and I'm going to continue with my grain growing, for which he uses machines, but he's, he's doing uh, organic, uh, grain growing, and he's doing interesting experiments of mixing 
like 192 different varieties of wheat in one field, in one field, things like that. Uh, and you have your cows on my fields and their dung is then benefiting my fields. So he's happy to have the devotees, cows and bulls and oxen, understanding that it's the dung and the urine, which is the value uh, for benefiting his land. So that's, I think, a very interesting model with considerable potential uh, with farmers in general. So we, we have the cows, you have the land, our cows can help your land, <laughs> your land can help us, we'll keep the cows uh, life lifelong, and so on. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at the time factor here. Uh, we yeah. have here about, I know, 90 or so guests, mostly Russians. So we have a large audience probably within the temple room. Oh. So we kind of like to keep this to an hour and we've got about yeah, 15 sure. minutes left. I see mm -hmm. we have a question from Tarika and yeah. we also have a question from my wife, Raditza. Good. Tarika, okay. can you unmute and uh, ask yeah. a question? I actually uh, did not have a question. I had a, a comment mm -hmm. regarding the um, the acceptance of donations of cows. Um, Srila Prabhupada addressed this issue. Um, we were on a morning walk in uh, in Hyderabad, on the Hyderabad farm. And uh, Srila Prabhupada gave some specific instruction about this. He said that we should not accept donations of, uh, of cows that are non-productive mm -hmm. and that um in particular we had to be concerned in in india about people who will try to donate their their older cows that are no longer productive they mm -hmm. don't want to take responsibility for uh for the cows when they're they're no longer getting milk from them so they uh at that point they become suddenly very charitable and they want to donate a cow <laughs> to you know uh the, the you know the the iscon farms and rid themselves of the liabilities so should have robin said we should not be suckers for <clears throat> for those people who uh, who don't want to be responsible uh, but mm -hmm. in in general the principle was that uh we don't want to accept cows that are that are not uh, productive as as a donation um with regards to uh distributing the uh the cows um for others to care for um other people working uh oxen or um or otherwise caring for for cows that began uh on on our own farms um that approach was uh was tried um I believe it, it was in the UK and uh, and some other places. Um, it failed uh, spectacularly because um, 
Oh, oh, and it, that happened uh, also in the United States with even worse results. Um, the what happened uh, uh, typically was that at some point the uh, the, indi the individ individuals caring for the cows um, encountered at some point or other some uh, financial hardship or or whatever and. Um, and took it upon themselves to sell the cows in, into slaughter uh, without notifying the devotees that, you know, your, your cows are going to be slaughtered because I can't care for them anymore. Um, so there's a significant risk that uh, we can't rely on others uh, who don't share our ideology to, uh, yeah. to, to actually protect the cows. Yeah, that's um, good you mentioned that. Of course, what I was referring to with uh, uh, Ahimsa Foundation, it's not that they've given their cows uh, to, this, to this farmer for him to care for, uh, not at all. It's, it's the Ahimsa Foundation devotees <clears throat> who are caring for the cows. Uh, and it's simply they're doing so on the land of this farmer. Uh, so, but you're right. Uh, attempts have been made also in India. I visited one, uh, one Goshala outside Girgaon, now called Gurugram, which is a, a huge suburb of Delhi. Uh, where they uh, they have some three thousand cows and bulls and oxen, and the the manager explained to me that at one time he he had um, farmers taking the cows under a kind of contract. He would make them sign a, a paper with, you know, very specific regulations uh, to supposedly guarantee that they would be cared for lifelong and so on. But he said it didn't work. Um, the, he found, <laughs> he said he found the same cows sometimes on the street that he had previously rescued them from. Uh, now they were back on the street because those farmers had just said, oh no, it's too much trouble. And they had let them go. Uh, so, th so that is happening also in India. The Indian government uh, made an attempt also they created, uh, this was back in the 70s, they, the central government made, organized what they called Go Sadhana, Go Sadhan, uh, sanctuaries for older cows. And in a short time, they saw that it doesn't work financially, that to maintain it was costing the government more than uh, their budget, uh, more than they were spending on education. And so they, they trashed that idea. Uh, the state government of Uttar Pradesh 
under this very heavy-handed uh, yogi Adityanath, uh, chief minister, Hindutva uh, person, has been making various arrangements uh, because they made very strong laws that uh, cows cannot be slaughtered. Okay, so then the farmers are just releasing their cows. And then what's happening? The cows are wandering into people's fields and eating their crops. What to do about that? So they've uh, started um, goshalas, sanctuaries, and then uh, taxing for that purpose, which uh, to me is really the, the, the point is Cow protection is something that has to be taken uh, from the government level for it to really work. And uh, for it to work, there would be a taxation system. And it uh, seems to me it would involve especially taxing meat, meat consumption, and so on. Incidentally, this issue of, uh, of donating older cows goes all the way back to the Kata Upanishad, which I mentioned in chapter two of my book, uh, that mm, the story is in the beginning that uh, this young, young man, Nachiketas is his name, is observing as his father, Ushan, is giving away all of his property uh, in charity, including old cows. And Nachiketas thinks, and expresses to his father, you know, dad, what are you doing <laughs> giving these old cows? What kind of charity is that? <laughs> and he's uh, kind of annoying his father by asking him three times until his father turns and sort of curses his son. When his son asks him, so who are you going to give me to in charity? <laughs> and uh, Ushan says, I will give you to Yamaraj. In other words, he says, in effect, go to hell. Uh, and so Nachiketas says, oh, okay. And he goes and he meets Yamaraj. And uh, he has a conversation with Yamaraj. And that's the remainder of the Kata Upanishad. But this issue of giving away old, old cows, that goes all the way back to the Kata Upanishad. That is a nice segue into my wife's question. Oh, okay. She's put in the uh, chat, I'll read it out here. Sometimes devotees suggest that non-Vaishnavas be allowed to utilize animals, in parentheses, for food and other resources cows that die on our farms from natural causes. I've even heard a devotee request non-devotees take the dead body of a protected cow because she couldn't legally bury the cow on her property. Please comment. Uh, that's interesting, yes. Uh, Gandhi, again, um, one of his suggestions for how to make cow protection economically viable uh, was that they should have on-site tanneries. His idea was when the cows die, 
you use uh, the uh, the skin, the leather, and it can be sold. Um, that idea never caught on, and I I met with with the Swami. I'm forgetting his name right now. I tell, I write about him in the book, uh, who is the sort of main inspiration of the Patmeda. Uh, conglomerate of Goshalas in Southwest Rajasthan, where at the time I was there, there was some 45,000 cows. And including, they have uh, a large cow hospital, which they said could accommodate some 1,000 cows uh, being treated at a time. And uh, I asked him about this and or one of his assistants. And the question had come up exactly this, what to do uh, with the older cows? Can we then utilize uh, the remains of the cow? And this particular Swami thought about it and said, no, better not. And his reason he gave was that if you are thinking of utility of the dead cow, even unconsciously, your care for the cow, as long as the cow is living, will be reduced. You will be thinking, anyway, this cow is, will become useful after death. So he didn't like that idea. He, he said, no, we should not be thinking like that. We should be caring for the cows uh, like we care for our mother. We should be uh, caring for them without consideration of some, um, yeah, some products from the from the dead cow. So that was that was the perspective I heard, and I found that. Uh, I could appreciate that. And at the same time, I was thinking I can understand what Gandhi is, is saying. Um, so what is, what is the right answer? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure also I, I agree with that, but uh, we s suffer from a similar problem and that I, I see as a problem, which is uh, cooking a lot of prasadam that uh, we eventually throw away. Of course, we found a way to compost things, the, the excess that we cannot consume. And that kind of rids us of the guilt that actually we are throwing away um, resources that we cook too much and then we compost it. So it's not no big deal, but we are actually wasting. Yeah, well, the amount of food waste in general worldwide, uh, there's different statistics, but it's uh, huge percentages of food that that are wasted. I don't, I don't remember the numbers, but, you know, 20, 30, 40 percent of what's produced is wasted. Yeah. 
All right, so uh, is there anyone else that's listening in that would like to have a question before we can wrap this up for today? A burning question. <laughs> I might otherwise just call attention to uh, the section near the end of my book, uh, again, because it, you can download it um, free of charge, the digital. So you may want to look at this section in which I uh, composed what I called affirmations, six affirmations uh, about uh, cow protection. With the idea like psychological affirmations, you say something in the present tense as if it's already happening. Uh, and by this, you develop a, a, an orientation that you eventually are imbibing yourself. So I have six, um, six affirmations uh, based on uh, six, um, six principles uh, that uh, the social psychologist Jonathan Haidt from uh, University of New York brought together as what he called the moral foundations of political life. So I won't go into detail about this, but um, if you want to see this, it starts on page 239 of this book. Um, yeah, I guess I'll leave it at that. As I said, I felt there was so much more uh, to be done. This, this is, if I, you know, would be asked what, what's my hope from this book? The book, my hope is, uh, for devotees to, to read it and to be prompted by it, to think more about the subject in light of the fact that Prabhupada emphasized cow protection so much. Uh, and my other aim, of course, is for a wider public to read it, uh, and therefore I uh, did the, the, the crowdfunding to have it published open access. And it's, it's reaching somebody. Um, the metrics from the publisher is that some 48,000 uh, downloads of the book have happened so far. Uh, since it was published two, two and a half years ago. Uh, yeah, so. How many hard copies have sold? Uh, I don't know. They, they don't give that number. And uh, I would be interested. Incidentally, we managed, <laughs> some devotees managed to meet uh, Narendra Modi just a few days ago in Munich in Germany and give him a copy of my book. Whether he'll actually look at it, it's another thing, but he did receive a copy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I hope, and I would be very happy if uh, any of you who are listening would read the book, either download, you can of course order hard copy, which is relatively 
inexpensive, I say, because these academic books normally, uh, the hard copy of this hard bound book would be in the neighborhood of $100. Um, but it's uh, instead, it's more like, I don't know, 30. I'd be very interested to hear responses from any of you, uh, specific or general, any, uh, any thoughts, especially those of you at Gitanagri, because you're, you're right there on the farm. Okay, so uh, thank you. This has been a fascinating conversation. I appreciate your <laughs> you're going out of your uh, comfort zone and talking about some things that maybe uh, were not expected. <laughs> My pleasure. It's good to go out of the comfort zone. I think Tarika Prabhu wanted to comment again. He may have hit hit the wrong button as he was signing out. Oh, no, I was curious to know um, if we had a comment on your book, how can we contact you? Oh, uh, you can ask uh, Sarvatma. He knows my contact. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay, Sarvatma, would you like to wrap it up for us? Well, I just want to um, give our thanks, uh, our indebtedness to His Holiness Krishna Kshetra Swami, who is always willing and diligent to uh, dispel some of the doubts uh, that we have with, a, with this inimitable way. Uh, <laughs> We heard about the moral goodness, but we never seen it in action until you came to us. So, <laughs> but Prabhupada said that by living with cows, one will actually develop the moral goodness, which that's right. Incidentally, is a lot easier than trying to become a good person. <laughs> yeah, Independent of the cows. Yes. Just be with the cows. It's yes. all done. <laughs> So if there are any, uh, if there is no further questions or comments, we would like the devotees to unmute themselves and offer their personal uh, gratitude to Swami Maharaj for being with us and enlightening us. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, Maharaj. Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much. Thank you, Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much. Thank you. Arivo, Arivo, Gaur Premanande, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Hi, Prabhupada.